0: all right uh here with uh big john that is how i was first introduced to you (laughs) Um, big john johnston owner of ironclad martial arts um and you are you located in in boston We're located
1: in Wilmington,
0: Massachusetts,
1: which is about um, maybe eight miles outside of Boston, 10 miles outside of Boston. Excellent.
0: Yeah. So we, you know, we met about, I think, 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were both testing uh, at a Superfoot event. But before we ever went, you were like the one person that my coach, Danny Dring, he was like, you got to meet Big John. And I was (sighs) like who's this big john person you know but uh he, you know I got to meet you that friday night the first night of that uh weekend camp and man we talked a little bit and i was like immediately thinking you know i was doing the podcast in as well but i was like this would be a great person to sit down and talk to and man i follow you on social media and i've seen just things you've been doing with your gym uh over time too and really just wanted to sit down and talk with you about a lot of that stuff so uh, sure thanks for having me on yeah so what um ironclad martial arts i mean you guys um as i said have been following you i see you really active on social media and i see you doing more than just martial arts but like a diverse set of programs uh mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of similar we've about 450 students at my school but you know yoga and group fitness and things like that but i was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about your school and what you guys are up to
1: Yeah, I mean, Ironclad Martial Arts, it's a, um, we have martial arts. We have a fitness side where we do, you know, kickboxing, boot camps, body sculpt, um, yoga. Um, We do basically all kinds of, you know, fitness classes. Uh, Then we also have a spin studio um, at the same time. You know, and our martial arts is very much geared around uh, a mixed style of martial arts, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to say that we do like a traditional karate because we're not even close to that. You know, we stay within our martial arts philosophies as as far as teaching all of our students respect and build their self-confidence and self-discipline. But for the most part, our martial arts is designed around um, self-defense, real life street self-defense, but understanding all areas Whereas if you're just standing, if you're on the ground, if you're in close, in close quarters, um, you know, so we teach a diverse, a very diverse um, amount of, of martial arts.
0: So, and I I guess that probably has a lot to do with your background, which that was the thing that stood out in, in what little I did talk with you over at the camp, but you have a long pedigree in competing in mixed martial arts and then some of your your coaches and former training partners. Um, I mean, what, what can you tell us about that? I mean, how much does that go into your, you know, your training background, go into your philosophy and then also just the success that I see, you know, from afar that you guys appear to be having? Um, yeah, I mean,
1: I started my martial arts when I was 11 years old. Actually, excuse me, 10 years old. Um, and I studied under Grandmaster Richard Byrne. Who in, in um, the style that, that I studied then was called Tung Sudo. And uh, that's actually when I met Grandmaster Wallace, Bill Superfoot Wallace. Um, I met him basically when I was 11. And um, I started with a traditional karate, which was Tung Sudo. And I did that all the way up until I was about 18. So I did that for about eight years, um, you know, got, was very successful with that. And then I started doing, um, started doing Muay Thai um, back in the late 90s um, under Crew Mark Delagrati in Sitia Tong. Um, so I, it's funny because I, I used to own a dog training school. Um, and Mark, Crew Mark Delagrati came into my dog training school to train his dog. And we just started talking, getting on the topics of, of you know martial arts and so forth. And he had told me that he owned a gym in Somerville, uh, so that's how I actually became friends with him and started working, working with him. Uh, so I started doing Muay Thai under Crew Mark and also uh, a gentleman named Crew Eric, um, who unfortunately Crew Eric passed away in a motorcycle accident about well, four years after I had met him. But um, you know he was one of my one of my coaches as well. But, um, yeah, I was very involved in Sit Yotong and under Crewmark. And, um, you know, we became very close family. And I was in, at Sit Yotong from uh, 1999 up until um, 2015. Um, and, you know, doing Muay Thai and then at the same time, that's when the UFC started to get popular. That was after, like, that's when, um, you know, the first ultimate fighter came out with Kenny Florian and, and, you know, uh, Stefan Bonner and, you know, those guys. And it's funny because one of my, one of the first people that I ever met was Kenny Florian, you know, when, when, and when I started to, to kind of really get involved in a lot of training, um, then from there it came to, you know, Kenny Florian, Patrick Côte, George Gugel, Rich Franklin, Stefan Bonner, um, Pete Spratt, uh, um, Marcus Davis. Um, you know, it was just a huge, it was a it was a huge line, you know, of MMA fighters that were coming into City Tong to um, to do their camps, you know, with Crew Mark. And I would help out. You know with their sparring or I would help out with their with whatever you know crew market asked me to do so um that got me real interested in you know in fighting so what ended up happening was I started a little bit of fighting in Muay Thai but it's kind of hard because I'm such a big guy that Muay Thai is more of a smaller you know weight class kind of thing so it was hard for me to get fights Um, you know lion fights and so forth they weren't around at the time so it wasn't very easy to to find fights in Muay Thai back then
0: yeah well you know it's even hard Uh, I've got got two students that are kickboxing in Arkansas and uh, Mr. Dring he's got some people uh, kickboxing doing MMA on the same card and then I believe Steve Snyder's daughter is also Mm -hmm. fighting on this card too but we can't get a tie rules match in Arkansas It either has to be a tournament, and this is 2022, you know. um, I can go over to um, Oklahoma, Dale Cook, you know, but Mm -hmm. a lot of times that's tournament format. So it's hard unless you go to a tournament to get, like, a beginner student. um, Tie rules, you know, and and we have a tie class, and we also do uh, the Superfoot system for our kickboxing. We have both, but it's just – that's just kind of for our own uh study with the tie boxing because we can't you know it's just very rare we've had some tie matches for st- uh at tournaments over the years um but it's not something that's even now um for whatever reason all the amateur rules in our state and surrounding states you can't uh can't catch kicks you can't um cl- hold a clinch and knee uh, <gasps> successive knees which is just kind of odd to me I think fig- I felt like we would have been past that in the year 2022, you know? Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know,
1: obviously when I had my
0: first um, Muay Thai fight,
1: it was 2008. January of 2008, I had my first Muay Thai fight and there was no commission. Um, We were, you know, amateurs, but um, we didn't wear headgear. We wore 10 ounce boxing gloves. You know, we had to wear shin guards, but the the shin guards that I had on were like paper thin, you know, Um, and it was just it was it was five three minute rounds. So it was like not even close to your, you know, amateur rules now. Um, And like I said, there was no commission. It was just like, okay, let's fight. Um, So we you know, we I had three of those fights, three, three Muay Thai fights um and then it was just like i said it was hard to find fighters my size i mean at the time i was probably 200 and 230 240 pounds Mm -hmm. so it was hard to find a um you know a a fight for me i mean my first muay thai fight i remember we didn't even know who we were fighting and we weighed in like that morning of the fight Mm -hmm. and that morning i showed up and i was sitting there and crew eric was with me at the time and um I'm sitting there and we're looking around the room and I'm like, well, that kind of looks like a big guy. I might be fighting him or that guy looks like a big guy. I might be fighting him. And before you know it, this guy ducks under the door to come in. And I, I mean, I'm six foot four, so I'm not, you know, I'm not a short guy and this guy ducks underneath the door and I look at him and I just felt like in my throat, I was like, Oh no, that's the guy I'm fighting. So they called my name and then they called the guy's name that I'm fighting. And here comes this guy who was 200 and I was 230 and I'm six foot four. He was 255, six foot 11.
0: Oh, wow. And I was just like, I'm
1: like this looking up at him. And it was funny because the whole training camp, crew Mark and crew Eric both are saying, you know, John, you're not going to be fighting somebody your size. You know, you're tall. You're going to be probably the taller fighter you know there's that so the whole training camp you know cuz obviously yeah I'm a big guy I'm a tall you know there's not many guys my size out there and right when I looked right when I looked at Crew Eric and I was like oh I'm not going to fight anybody bigger than me huh and he was just like oh well <laughs> you know that's the guy that's the guy so we literally had a that's the only fight so I've had 10 fights total between my Muay Thai and my MMA career and that's the only fight that went the full distance all my other fights i ended in the first round
0: yeah well you know you're talking about a time just for uh perspective so like i'm 35 i started training in the the same era you're talking about like when mm-hmm. i first had uh run into you i think i told you this i had just re-watched the first three seasons of the ultimate fighter oh yeah and, you know, so, like, that's when I was so nostalgic because that's when I was getting involved. Like, uh, I remember vividly Michael Bisping winning the third season, right? Uh-huh. Like, I remember vividly Stephen Bonner, Forrest Griffin, one and two, you know. But uh-huh. that whole first season, like, all of those people, and, and many of which you mentioned, uh, legends. I mean, delagrati being a coach on – it's like, oh, hey, this is the guy we're going to use to train y'all, which is right. your coach you're talking about. mm um, uh-huh but that was also a time when mma really started taking off and it was the wild west so i started in 06 and my first two fights were unsanctioned Uh right and i remember one of them i was saying this when you're talking because heavyweight that's an interesting uh story like i remember i was supposed to fight a guy at 70 Uh and he showed up at 188 pounds Mm-hmm. right and they're just like oh just don't cut any more weight uh, we'll weigh you tomorrow a- after lunch you know and I, <laughs> I weighed like 176 and he weighed 188 um but it was just like that sort of stuff you know like you talking with uh you know some people who would have been of your generation who are like um some of drinks first like black belts and jujitsu and stuff that were also fighting mma it's like they would go off to out of state not know who they were fighting fight somebody Mm -hmm. out of their weight class um especially the lighter you went because these guys were 35ers 45ers and Uh a lot of people that over the last decade don't even remember when those were not weight classes in the ufc right when that was the WEC where it was harder and then people like uh did you ever think you could have fought light heavyweight walking around at that like i remember randy couture being 225 heavyweight and did go up and down but uh is that anything you did you ever fight down a weight class
1: no nope, always fight heavyweight
0: yeah that's uh well and two you definitely you know don't have one of those ironic names you know <laughs> tiny yeah uh, but uh <clears throat> that that um y- you definitely um I, I i got to spar with you even a little bit and i was just, uh-huh. like a uh, funny story like drink had been telling me this whole time so I really just trained diligently, diligently. I drive up and do a private drink every week, getting ready for this super foot test. And uh, he's like, now, now Brian, I don't want you, to, you know. I know you got a good leg kick. Don't, uh, don't be kicking the leg. I, I want you to really utilize you know, your, your super foot kicks. And then we start uh, sparring and then you kick me in the leg. And I was like, damn it, uh, <laughs> oh man. But you know, that was it. one thing also that's really cool is seeing people like you at the super foot camp, because uh-huh. like, you know, I, and that is a karate system. I mean, uh-huh. where it comes from, without the, the patterns and the katas, but that's just something, you know, I got in, involved with MMA, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and have gone back into more traditional, if that's what you want to call it, 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 you know, later in my martial arts journey, you know, being in my mid thirties, my wife is 30 and she tested for her black belt in orlando her first degree but man it's been awesome you know getting to be involved with some of these people that i mean i've seen bill superfoot wallace this whole time i've seen people like mark delagradi and it's like now i'm at a time and place where i can meet and train with these people and talk to them and and learn from them or just like look back i mean it is such a history lesson looking back at some of those early tough seasons and having Mm -hmm. a fight pass and looking back at uh how far the sport has come oh absolutely
1: i mean that it's funny because you know like some of the guys i mentioned like marcus davis and patrick cote and george gogell and those guys you know it's it's um you know marcus davis unbelievable boxer you know fast hands everything and You know, I would spar him and he's obviously, and he's also a lefty, you know, and I would spar him and it was just like the amount of punches that I would get hit by him, you know, in a matter of seconds. But then at the same time, there was no real like clinching or takedowns or, you know, or groundwork back then, really. It was, you know, back in the early UFC, you know, it was, you had one main thing. You know, which you were either a striker or you were a ground guy. Those two really didn't merge until later on, you know, in the UFC. I mean, yeah, guys did ground ground work and some jujitsu just in case they got on the ground. But it was, you know, was one of those things that as it started to progress, you had to be really good at both of those in order to survive. Mm. You know, and myself, I'm a striker. You know, I want to stay on my feet. I want to throw punches, kicks, knees, elbows. You know, I want to stay with my Muay Thai. But I would probably say that anytime I had a camp for any of my fights, um, that was probably like 30%. And then the other 70% was getting pinned against the cage, getting taken down, working off my back, you know, working in bad positions on the ground. You know, and mainly because, you know, I wasn't known as a great ground guy. So any of the guys that I fought, they wanted to always take me to the ground. So my, you know, with crew Mark, and I also have, um, uh, Giuliano Catino. we call banana. He's uh he was my, one of my, um, he's a very, very close friend of mine, but he's one of my main, he was my main training partner, another big heavyweight. He also won the CES heavyweight championship after I had retired. Um, you know, and he was one of my main, one of my main training partners. So he's a, a third degree black belt in jujitsu. So he's, you know, under Daniel Gracie and he's trying to take me down and pin me on the cage. So it was, you know, seeing the, evo- invo- how MMA evolved, like you said, you know, um, like you said, you know, you got into it in the early stages. So you've seen the, how it evolved. I've seen it evolve and also been part of the how it evolved or when it was evolving and how much more you actually had to train you know you even though you trained a lot you had to train twice as hard because you had areas that you really had to focus on
0: yeah just the 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 transitional phases you know like i mean just uh is an example um and there are plenty of them but uh, and i heard Don, john donna her talking about this the other day on a podcast but george st pierre was one of the first guys that really was like weaved everything together in in such a way where you know he hadn't wrestled but he could take you down and Uh also stop your takedown and Uh he he could you know set up the leg kick off the jab he could set up the double off the jab and he could counter with those things off of your jab it Uh was just so simplistic but man um now when i watch like uh like some of the like the Contender series, or you know, some of the last few years of seasons of the Ultimate Fighter, what these martial artists are doing now, uh-huh. uh, and then looking back, and it's like they were doing amazing things then, and I love I I love that style of that I, I get call it an archaic style in the literal sense of the word, uh-huh. uh, you know, the early two thousands era, and now I mean now it is like uh, it is on a whole other level and I, mean, I have a background white belt in judo Brazilian jiu-jitsu have done a lot of the same just like really just tried to evolve as a martial artist and you know it's awesome too because i love getting to talk with mr dring or you know like conversations like this because you have the context people you know like greg nelson's of the world uh, that have seen man i'm missing out on on the i can only watch on fight pass or uh-huh. from these types of conversations anything pre-2006 you know like outside of you know just like pride fights were really kind of the vintage thing when i was uh-huh. uh, first getting involved but you really have been uh, along for s- some amazing history and you had a lot of success competing uh, if I if my memory serves me correct right? Uh-huh.
1: yes i mean i started my um you know after i did my muay thai fights it was around um, 2000, the end of 2009 was my last, um, my third Muay Thai fight. And it was just so hard, like, to, like I said, to find somebody my size to fight. So a lot of times, you know, I would get, uh, I would say, okay, you know, you're going to be on the card, And then a week, you know, before the fight, they couldn't find somebody. You know, but yet I would be training for six or seven weeks exactly. for a fight. You know, so the fights were constantly kind of getting, you know, getting um, canceled. And it was just, it was a lot of, you know, mental and physical drain on me. So I started to tell um, mark that I wanted to, uh, wanted to switch over to MMA. <laughs> Excuse me. And back then, I was one of the trainers in at Seattle. um Mark had, had, you know, kind of giving me the blessing to start training a lot of the fighters and stuff like that. So I was training them um, a lot. And it was basically myself and crew Mark that were really working with the fight team and getting getting the su- success that they were having. Uh, and then we also had Tyson Chartier, who was, uh, he was our, he was my manager. And he was also a, one of our, our trainers, but he was a professional fighter at the time. But to kind of make a long story short, I was literally every day asking crew Mark, you know, that I want to fight MMA. I want to fight MMA. I want to fight MMA. You know, let me switch over. Let me switch over. And he was constantly saying no. He was like, no, you need to focus on helping me at the gym and being a trainer and, you know, supporting these guys and so forth. And myself and Tyson um, just constantly kept saying, you know, let me fight. Let me fight. Let me fight. So finally, you know, we got, it was one night, at. it was called the AFO. It was a local show. And, um, you know, we had a bunch of guys on the card and we had a great night. Everybody was winning. And, you know, Mark was in a good mood. And um, Tyson just, you know, there was a heavyweight fight on the card. And Tyson said, you don't think that, you know, Big John can beat any of these guys? And Kumar was like, oh, no doubt he could beat these guys. So then I was like, well, let me fight. And he finally said, all right, fine, you know, you can fight. So that was my, that was in 2009. So 2010, I really focused on, you know, the take down defenses and groundwork and, you know, doing, getting my jujitsu going and wrestling and things of that nature. So then 2011, June of 2011, I was actually 40 years old and I started my professional career.
0: I almost asked uh, what your age was at that time. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I started at 40 years old.
0: That is five and, years uh, older than I am now. And I would not want to fight right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll spar you in yeah. a super foot camp though. You know, it's, but, <laughs> but that is, that is super impressive. And you know, that's something that I think along with maybe some of the changes in the game and athleticism, I'm not saying that this is a young, young man, exclusively game, Uh but man, uh, the attributes that I see the people coming in, like at the ground level, having a lot of time Uh is is what I was kind of remarking on earlier, but that's amazing. Um, So you're 40 when you had your debut.
1: Yep, I was 40 years old, almost 41, because be, I am i would have been 41 in October, and I fought in June. So, um, yeah, I was 40 years old, and uh, I finished the fight in the minute and 27 seconds. I, I knocked the guy out. Um, and then right after that, I had my second fight, which was in Maine. That was in September of the same year, September 2011. And I fought, like, Maine's, you know, number one heavyweight, uh, this guy Sean Durfee. Um, and he was a – everybody thought for sure that that was a fight that I was going to lose because he was a brown belt in jujitsu. jitsu um, He had had, like, three other fights, bef- you know, before that. And he – all of his three fights he won with rear naked chokes, taking the guys down, you know, Stuff like that, and um, this fight was kind of a a very memorable fight because um, I was actually the co-main event to Marcus Davis.
0: That's awesome.
1: Uh, it was in Portland, Maine. I was the co-main event to Marcus Davis, and then there was a it was a um, vinyl covering on the on the cage, so it wasn't a canvas; it was a vinyl covering. And I was like I said, the co-main event. So when I went out there, the the vinyl was really slippery. It was sweaty and really slippery. And I went into the cage, and I started bouncing around a little bit. And I actually my foot slipped out from underneath me, and I rolled and I broke my ankle.
0: This is before, before the fight? fight
1: even before the fight even started. I broke my ankle. And um, the ref at the time was. Um, this guy, Kevin, and Kevin McDonald, who now he's a, a, you know, ref in the UFC and Bellator and all that. He's one of the, one of the greatest refs, but he knew, who, he knew me very well and he saw me roll my ankle and I was like holding my foot up and I was just like, Oh my God. And he came over to me and he was like, Oh, big John, you already, right. And I looked at him and I was like, I just broke my ankle. And he's like, all right, I'm going to get the doctor in. And I said, Nope said kevin start the fight and he was like i have to get the doctor i said no start the fight just start the fight right now so he just went in the middle and he was like okay okay ready ready let's go so i i fought sean durfee on a broken ankle um about probably two minutes into the first round he ended up taking me down against the cage um and i was on my back for three minutes with him in Mount, Ooh. and I just, I didn't care. I was just moving. I was just defending. And then uh, I went back. the The round ended. This is the only round in my MMA career. The only fight in my MMA career that it went two rounds. And it was funny because I went back to the corner, and um Tyson and and Bonander or Juliano were in my corner. And I sat down. And the first thing they said to me was like, "All right, John." When you're on your back, you have to, you know, you, you really have to, you know, buck, get those tips up, turn to the. I looked at them both and I said, I broke my ankle. And they were like, What? I said, Yeah, I broke my ankle. And Tyson looks at me and goes, Okay, forget about that. This is what you have to do. <laughs> so uh,
0: Shit then I went out into the in second the corner, round. Right? What's that? I said, Steph coaches say in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Do it, right.
1: Um. So I went out in the second round and I knocked him out in forty seconds of the second round. Yeah. Um and then I end up in the hospital, you know? <laughs> it was pretty pretty
2: interesting.
0: No, that's uh that's incredible. That and uh-huh. man, that is um those are the lessons I think you learn through martial arts. You know, through more I I got into martial arts uh late into my teenage years and you know that that, most people hear that story would be listening to this and would think they maybe weren't capable of fighting you know the number one heavyweight with a broken ankle but really you know you learn lessons through martial arts like that's you know i i I call them the keywords like but perseverance uh, Mm -hmm. you know it just that is something that i have definitely taken away it just My whole adult life doing martial arts is doing things I never thought I would be able to do just because, well, usually if you're doing things like numerous fight camps and helping these pros like Marcus Irish hand grenade Davis get ready Uh to fight it, you know, you're, you're suffering every day and you're sacrificing and, um, you know, uh, you're forging, I guess Uh is, is a great way to look at it. But, uh, man, that is, uh, that's amazing. So what uh did you have to have surgery or anything pins anything like that
1: no i ha- i was lucky enough that it was a clean enough break that um you know they were able to set it and then i was just in a you know in a cast in a boot for a long time um you know and i kind of it w- took from like september um to march of the next year that i could start like really training again um So now we're obviously into 2012, and then I had, uh, you know, then I just started continuing my fight, my fighting after that. Um, So after my third fight, there's an organization here in Rhode Island uh, called CES, which is uh, Classic Entertainment Sports. Um, And they were kind of, back then, they were almost like the, um, you know, like you have your local shows you know, and then you have like the step up, which would be like the CES, Mm -hmm. you know, and then after CES, you would have the step up to like Bellator, you know, or UFC. So it was kind of one of those sister organizations that, you know, a lot of fighters from there um, would go to the UFC or to Bellator or something of that nature. So my fourth fight, um, my manager told me that, you know, CES was interested in me. So I started to, um, on my fourth fight, I I fought CES. So I signed with them. And that's where I kind of, that's where I ended my career through CES. Um, You know, I had all my my fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh fight with uh, CES. And then I won the, um, after my fifth fight, my sixth fight was for the heavyweight title. And that was against, um, that was against... uh, Oh my gosh uh, right here hold on uh, josh heavy Hendricks, who is um he fought in the ufc and um he's a ground guy <laughs> it's funny he's a ground guy he was actually the noguera brothers wrestling coach so um you know he was a big wrestler and you know we knew that the fight was going to be tough but um with him it was just it was a grind you know it was a big grind fight with him he, he ended up taking me down and uh the fight was all on the ground and at four minutes and it was like four minutes and 20 seconds of the fifth of the first round I ended up reversing him and just ground and pound and finish the fight you know it was like I think there was like 12 seconds left in the fight and I ended up finishing the fight you know in the first round and um that's when I won the the, the CES title at that point. Uh, And at that point, I was 40,
0: 44. Wow. Were you usually the older guy in these matches? Oh,
1: all the time. The whole time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was fighting guys. You know, I think I fought a kid that was 26. I fought a kid that was 24. And then the other people that I fought were, like, in their 30s. You know, young, early 30s. But um, I was always the... I was always the older one. and um, you know, but the thing about me is is, you know, and my a lot of my training partners would say it. My coaches would definitely say it. You know, you would have to kick me out of the gym. You know, there were days where I'd show up to, you know, like my strength and conditioning coach, who's Mike Perry. He owns um uh, skill of strength here in chumsford Mass. and there were days where i would show up to you know to my uh, strength and conditioning basically walking you know and he would look at me and be like why are you here <laughs> i'm like cuz i have to get my training in you know i have to train and you know he's definitely i have to say that that mike is definitely somebody who taught me to listen to my body um you know and to to kind of not worry about not worry about like am I getting enough training in worry more about the quality of the training? Um, you know, he definitely taught me how to listen to my body and look, you know, if you, if you have, if if you wake up in the morning and you're not, you know, you're not going to be able to do your workout as good as you're supposed to be doing it, then do something else. Go for a walk, you know, do a, do kind of like a, you know, have somewhat of an off day, you know, but at the same time, we have more of like an, uh, well, we would call it like a, a active rest day yeah. where you would do something, but it was not be vigorous to your body, you know, because, um, you know, obviously being this, the, the age that I was when I was fighting, um, my recovery time as far as like, if I got injured or something, it, it wasn't like these 20 year olds, you know, where. You know they would hurt themselves, and two days later they're fine. You know, whereas me it was like two weeks later, <laughs> I'm fine. So I had to really, you know, pay attention to my body and do the, um, you know, do the 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 more or less like the the after stuff. You know, recovery. I could tell you that ibuprofen, icy hot patches, um, and Epsom salt baths, and ice baths. <laughs> we're like those are my number one go-tos
0: <laughs> i also like to rotate in the heating pad every now and then you know uh-huh like i bet i had like a little uh, old rib injury flaring up and i uh, have been sitting on one recently you just wake up in the morning and kind of start stretching and moving around but um that's uh the remedies you know carry some time uh-huh. with you wherever you go maybe oh yeah and, um, yeah i'll tell you the
1: first time. Uh, uh, speaking of Thailand, I um my Thai my Thai instructor from from Thailand, Kru Toy, who's also um crew mark's uh Thai instructor, his father, Crew um Kru Toy excuse me, um Tong, student of Yat Tong, Kru Ya Tong is the one who started Tong mm-hmm. Um and Kru Toy is his son. But Kru Toy gave me some of that Thailand once and uh, I, t- I had like my legs were killing me, so I went home and I showered and you know I took like a hot shower and I was like I'm feeling good. All right, I'm gonna put some of this Thailand on. Worst idea ever after a shower.
0: Oh really? <laughs> I've only ever I, done it before training, honestly. Oh
1: man, I put it on. I it was probably not even five minutes after I took the hot shower, and so all my Pores and everything were open from the the shower, and I rubbed it on my legs, and I would probably say 10, 20 seconds after that, I was on fire. Like, my legs, my skin was melting off, and it was horrible because I was like, I'm just going to jump in the shower, and, you know, it's an oil, so oil and water don't mix, Mm-hmm. so i jumped in the shower to wipe it off and it only got worse i mean i was literally laying on the ground screaming it was so hot that thailand man is no joke that stuff is like that is like i i, I see hot times a thousand yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, you know i haven't even put any on in a while there was here probably four or five years ago um drink had like a big supply of it he got like when he was in Vegas or something, somebody uh-huh. gave him a box, uh, like one of the demo guys there he knew or something. Uh, but, you know, and too, like I had one time, and uh, this would probably be 2014, one of my guys, amateur, was fighting. Um, a guy, and he had done, like, some tie competitions around. He'd been a striker, but he rubbed down a tie liniment, like, right before the fight. Uh-huh. And then the commission, like, saw him doing it, and they were like, you can't do that, you know, go you got to, they're trying to clean him off and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't want to get that stuff in my eyes. I've got it in my eyes before from like two people having it on <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, it's, it, it'll definitely, uh, you know, get those uh, stiff muscles back to fire.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of like the big thing that I learned about myself, you know, the recovery aspect of it. Um, and then also at the same time, you know, listening to my my body and having my coaches, you know, understanding of my age and so forth. So it was a lot easier. You know, they would push me to my limits. There's no question. But um, I would also want to keep going and they would, they would put a halt to it. You know, they would stop me because um, I'm not the type to to stop i would just keep going and then most likely you know if there were times i'm sure that if i kept going then i would have had some some injuries
0: well i mean i think that's what that's what a good coach is for to to be there to you know there's going to be days that i deal with people that they they need to i've had a guy recently it's like dude you're over training like you're injured you know you need uh-huh. to a day and then we're gonna we'll build you back up over the next week and then you got somebody that's you know, they're just kind of feeling the grind and they want to take a day off, but the works, you know, it's there, but just it, because right. it's, it's, you know, but man, those days, like, uh, I think it was um Jocko that was saying this, it's like, train the day you don't want to train, take the next day off. And right. I don't know, probably did some bro science there, but uh, it, mm-hmm. and then Danny Dring has the saying that I think about more than anything. He wrote a book on being injured literally called uh-huh. stay in the fight but he said this a lot um there's no overtraining, there's under recovery so like uh-huh. you were saying like and you know my whole 20s and even a little bit into my 30s i was like take a walk and now i walk 30 minutes most days of the week and uh-huh. a lot of that is just um to mitigate back issues it's low impact it's a great warm-up i'll do uh-huh. it you know, before i do cardio i'll do it before i lift uh-huh. and um it's just some it's active recovery sometimes uh-huh. sometimes i'll go just go walk at the park with my wife we'll get a couple miles in it's just i never was interested in doing that and until a certain phase of my life it's kind of weird and i will be saying these things to my 22 year old students and they look at me like i'm crazy you know like Uh want me to take a a walk it's just like yeah you we just trashed you with nine rounds of cardio and sparring like let's let's take a loop around the block real quick or Uh the day after that like and it's five in the morning let's take a walk before we start training like that's the sort of stuff that i'm doing more that I wish I would have been doing when I was sustaining injuries at like 28 years old. Right. Because uh, that's when I really kind of started slowing down on competing was later on in my 20s. But that's uh-huh. why I'm very impressed to hear your story of not only doing that at um, it, it, the age you were, but at the era, like it, in the Wild West. And. I mean, how many times do you think you probably put a hefty amount of work in for a camp and then did not get to fight? You kind of mentioned that.
1: Oh, numerous
0: times. Numerous. I
1: would probably say at least least ten. At least ten times. You know, Um, and, you know, it's it's definitely – unfortunately back then it was like part of the game. But, uh, you know, I – and and I have a very good friend of mine. His name is Mike Gresh. We call him Local Lobo, and um, he's also a, a black belt under Daniel Gracie. He was also one of my one of my trainers. Um, and he would say, "Look, like if if you call yourself a fighter, then fight. You know. And and a, there's a lot of guys that say they want to fight. They sign up for a fight, and then." who knows what happens but yet they they turn around and they they pull out of the fight you know and it's and most of the time you know they pull out of the fight saying that they have an injury or whatever and it's like i don't think i've ever gone into a fight without an injury oh yeah (laughs) you know and i mean it's just there are there's plenty of times you know, where guys will, will pull out of a fight just for, you know, because they they don't think they've had enough training or they don't think that, you know, they're ready or what. And it's like, listen, like, you signed up to fight, so fight.
0: Yeah. I can you know understand I
1: mean? if you get a severe injury, okay, if you get a severe injury, that's one thing. But yeah, if you're just, you know, if you don't think you trained enough, that's your problem. You know, yeah, that don't, don't, don't make, don't cause a problem for the guy that's like ready for you, for the fight, yeah, you know, yeah. and, it, yeah. and you see that, you see that so often, you know, yeah. obviously you see it more so in the, um, in like the local shows, you know, yeah. and, and it just sucks because, you know, the, the promoter is, is, you know, setting up the cog, and kind of getting getting all the fights that they need together, and then all of a sudden, two weeks before you know before the sh- before the show, you know, two guys decide to pull out of fights. Now, the matchmakers trying to find two fights, you know, and, and I just and those guys, they're trained. It's you know, Mike Gresh used to say it all the time, you know if you call yourself a fighter, then fight mm-hmm. and and I, I, it used to frustrate me. You know, we went up to New York one time to fight Muay Thai, and uh, I had a fight, and you know, it was set so forth. There was like three of us fighting on the card, so me, Krumark, Tateki um, um, Andreas Judah, um, and there was a couple other guys. Yeah, we all drove up to New York. It was like a four-hour ride, you know. One way. We just drove up to New York. We were ready to fight. I stepped on the scale. The guy I was fighting, stepped on the scale. We did our face off. And then it was like, all right, and this was an amateur fight. Um, and as I'm getting my hand wrapped, somebody walks over to Crew Mark and asks Crew Mark if he could talk to him. So Crew Mark walks away, and then Mark comes back and he starts unwrapping my hands. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, the guy that you want, the guy that you were fighting left. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, he, he doesn't want to fight. And I was just like, so do I have a fight? And he's like, no, you don't have a fight now.
0: Man, about to walk out. (laughs) My hand was, I mean, I was getting, you know, my hands wrapped. That's a whole other, like, there's being in the mindset set in your camp or maybe even the week of, you find out. But, man, like, they're at the event, about Mm -hmm. to walk. I don't think that's ever happened. I probably cornered boxing, kickboxing, MMA, 150 fights not, like, a whole ton, you know. But, man, I've never had that happen. I've cornered a bunch with Mr. Dream. Never. Mm uh We've never had that happen.
1: Yeah, and and literally, we like the reason was is a guy got cold feet.
0: Yeah, well.
1: And I was just man. like, find someone in the audience right now <laughs> to put in the ring. I was I was so mad. I was like literally walking out to the audience trying to find somebody. And you know, and Kumar had to calm me down, and I was just like, listen, I trained eight weeks this fight and here i am at the event like what are you gonna do like what are, how are we gonna get a fight so it was you know so luckily enough you know when we got back you know Kumar set up me and this other guy who was a heavyweight and he was just like you guys just you know go at it don't go 100 but go enough that it's gonna kind of get the you know get all that out of me so we we you know we had a good fu- we had a good you know sparring match, but still it was it was more of a mental thing you know mm-hmm. it was very mental where it was you know I was set I was my mind was set my body was set and then nothing so
0: that is disappointing you know yep and then
1: you know it was but in, it, luckily enough in in my MMA career um well I did have one guy pull out but they were able to find somebody. Um, They were able to find someone within a couple days, you know, to fight. So luckily enough, you know, with CES, when I was fighting for CES, um, they, all the fights that I was supposed to have, I had. Uh, You know, and I've had seven MMA fights, um, seven and O, all seven knockouts. And, um, you know, I kind of think right now, that I don't look at this as a knockout, but Mike Gresh looks at it as a knockout because he would have paid he would have had to pay me a couple hundred dollars. But I had a guy tap out from punches.
0: I've seen that happen a time or two, but it's so very rare.
1: I look at it like that's a submission because Mike it's funny because Gresh always said to me, I'll give you 200 bucks if you submit someone. Now, he didn't say how I submit him, But like I said, I'm not, I wasn't a ground guy. So I wasn't the type to like take you to take you to the ground and choke you or on by you or anything like that. Like my ground game is if I see your face, I hit it. <laughs> That's what my ground game is.
0: <laughs> that could be a very effective strategy, though. I found in the equalizer, uh, there's that saying about jujitsu guys in MMA. Uh, you hit a black belt once, he becomes a brown belt. Mm-hmm. Kick him in the leg, he gets demoted to purple. Right. You know, hit him again yep. and, and blast the double, or put him on the fence. He's you know back down to blue belt, and the next thing <laughs> you know, you're you're pounding him out in guard or choking him, and you you might be a white belt, and I've seen that happen a lot. You know, sure Yep. So I had one fight in um uh, against Keith Bell. He was a
1: Bellator. He fought in Bellator. And um he fought me in CES and he tapped out from my punches. Uh we were I was on his back and I was punching and he tapped out. So I think that's a submission. I don't look at it as a TKO or a KO because you tapped out, you gave up. That's you submitted.
0: But, um, i mean you might submit from like because that could have been a mixture of uh because i've seen people tap from exhaustion mm-hmm. you No, know, back remarking on some of those earlier tough series ultimate fighter i was r- surprised at some of the earlier seasons people were tapping just to like being smothered and pounded on in like side mount or, or, mm-hmm. or different spots but i mean that's just like uh i give up like and right. I, I would put that like somebody smothering you with uh, Kessa, like a, uh, what? What was his name? Uh, uh, Aleski or whatever submitted the guy with just the Kessa in the UFC a while back. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, like I mean that's that's a tap, but it's just like <laughs> a weird. It's a weird thing. It's a it's, it's an armbar. It's not a it's not a rear naked. Right, it's
1: yeah. just tapping from punches. So I I mean obviously my record is you know seven KOs, but I I kind of like to give myself one submission. <laughs>
0: There you go. Right. Well, yeah. John, when did you when did you transition to so like, you know, I, I had this you know a little bit of an overview of of your background at the camp, and then started you know following you on social media, and I'm like, wow, this you know this this guy might also be a bit of a, a business guru, you know, or mm-hmm. just like I, I mean, owning a martial arts school, and w- we have eight thousand square feet. Students' programs, and you know, looking at what you did or are doing, and kind of you know, we're even um, looking at adding spin, like, we're looking at expanding a little bit more in group fitness. But fitness, kickboxing, and yoga for us is huge. So, this had some interest in like you being in group fitness and also martial arts and, mm-hmm. and, and us as well. But when did you start to make the transition from you know? big John, the competitor and, and assistant coach at, uh, with Del uh, working with fighters to owning your own school.
1: Well, I had always, um, since I was 23 years old, I've always owned my own business. I had a, um, I used to be a professional dog trainer and I had, I owned a dog training school, um, from when I was 23 all the way up until 2010. So um, even when I was training Muay Thai and so forth, I still own my business. So I've always been like an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, owning my own business and so forth. But martial arts has always been a passion of mine, you know, since I was young and being in the, being at Tong, and, you know, I'd also trained, I've also trained Krav Maga, um, you know, extensively and they, you know there's a guy Paul Garcia Master Paul Garcia who owns um, America America's Best Defense who is a big uh, they're a big Krav Maga school um, I used to go and teach up there and and do a lot of privates uh, with his instructors teaching the Muay Thai and so forth and got into Krav Maga you know through Paul and um, and this another this other person Chris Cole and. Um, What ended up happening was, as I was fighting, um, July of 2014, we started to kind of have talks about the UFC. And um, my age got in the way. So, you know, they weren't going to take somebody who was was in their 40s because of, um, you know, certain commissions. You have to get licensed in every state that you fight in. And certain commissions, kind of, they're they're weary on taking fighters that are in their mid 40s, um, you know, and licensing them and so forth. So once that started to happen, I was kind of like, well, where's my fight career gonna go? You know, like if I'm gonna keep fighting, I don't want to just continue to fight like local shows, because you know, and then just be a trainer. And because, you know, I have a son. Uh he's seventeen years old now. But um, you know, and, and the one thing that I've I always do is I, you know, take care of my son a hundred percent. And I want to give him everything in the world and make sure that he's he's you know, he's a he's a hockey player, he's a goalie. Um you know, and I my thing with my son, my son is my my entire world and you know, I can't say that enough. But um So the financial aspect of it with just being a coach and, um, you know, and fighting local shows, I just kind of had to say to myself, you know what, I have to make a, I have to make a future for myself and for my son. I can't just, you know, live day by day and figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. So that's when I I started to think, you know what, I think I want to own, I think I want to open up my own school. Um. And, you know, start teaching kids and so forth. So that's when I made the decision and I made the decision in 2014 to defend my title one, one time, one more time or one time, you know, because they always say that you're not a champion until you defend your title. So I wanted to prove that I was a champion. So I defended my title in October 2014 and then I opened up Ironclad in, um, in, March of 2015. Um, May, May of, two, I'm sorry, May of 2015, I opened up um, Ironclad. And, you know, the thing about my school is that it's very family-orientated. Um, you know, I wanna be able to, I wanna be able to um, help everyone, whether it's a child, an adult, an older, you know, older adults, uh, a man, a woman, I don't, I don't care who it is. I want to be able to to accommodate everybody. So when I was thinking about how I wanted to design it, um, I said, you know what? I, I want to have two areas. I want to have a fitness area where somebody who doesn't want to do martial arts can still come and they could still do things for themselves. Then I also, because of my passion, I want to have my martial arts side. Where, you know, I'm teaching kids and adults and so forth. And I literally told myself as I was opening up my school that I don't want to train fighters. And one of the reasons why I didn't I didn't want to train fighters from my school was because number one, fighters don't pay the bills. <laughs>
2: you hard.
1: know, I have so many people that have asked me to train them for fights uh, or train them to be a fighter and they're like well you know I don't have a job right now you know I want to fight so that I can make some money and so basically you're asking me to train you for free because I'm not going to get paid and then on top of that you know it was funny last week I had somebody come in my school and and say this and I told him this exact thing he was like oh, you know, I'm a fighter, I'm a I'll be a fighter I said okay I said uh, sign up for classes and you know we'll kind of gear you in the direction of, of doing that and then at some point you and I will have to start working together uh, which will be private sessions and this is how much my private sessions are you know and his exact answer to me was well I don't have a job right now and I was like okay So how are you going to pay for for your membership? And he was like, oh, I was kind of hoping that, you know, maybe you could take, like, when I start fighting, you can take, you know, half of my purse, half of whatever I make. And that'll kind of be the payment. So I said to him, I go, all right, so let's look at it this way. You've never done anything. You've never fought. You've never trained. So let's say it's going to take me a year before I finally get you an amateur fight. So that's one year of free training, most likely at least three or four times a week, if not more. Then when you fight as an amateur, you don't get paid. So I'm not going to get paid for you as an amateur, which means that, let's say you have five amateur fights. That could be a year and a half. So now we're into two and a half years of me training you for free but yet giving you everything that you need. Then you finally get your first professional fight and it's a local fight. And guess how much you make? Probably $400. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to take half of that, which is $200 for three years of training. That's like and team. I looked at him and I said, if you can find anybody to do that, go ahead, but it's not going to be me.
0: Yeah, that's like, I mean, a month and a half membership or something. (laughs)
1: You know what what I mean? So, like, this is the mentality that a lot of people that want to fight have. And the other thing about, you know, training fighters is the fact that I just, I train so many fighters and I've been involved in the fight game so long that it took time away from my son mm-hmm. you know so weekends that i would have that i would have my son i'd have to go to a fight you know and i would bring my son with me my son loved the fight but at the same time i'm not spending time with my son i'm spending time with the fighters and i'm my yeah my son's there watching the fights but it's not quality time with my son so when I, when I decided to open up the school, that's what I wanted. I wanted to start having the quality time that I, that my son deserved uh, to have. And also at the same time, I wanted to teach the general public you know, when I say that, you know, without fighters, I want to teach the general public, just the average person how to be able to be safe. You know, so I'm, Shalotics is a mixture of Muay Thai, Kramaga, and uh, no gi, Jiu Jitsu, you know, in in ground fighting. So it's all aspects of a fight, but more street oriented. You know, we do have an MMA class, uh, which is very popular, but during the MMA class, you know, we do striking, we do takedowns. Ground control, no gi, striking on the ground. But I show the differences between, okay, in MMA, this is not legal. On the street, this is what you can do. So those people that are in the MMA class that want to understand the actual MMA and the rules and so forth, they understand it because I explain it to them. And then those people that are there just to kind of better themselves for self-defense, then we work on that aspect as well.
0: Which so, is a way, way broader uh, market. You know, like when I mm-hmm. first opened my school, um, I, I mean, at the peak of, and this would be like while I was still competing uh, in kickboxing MMA, And then starting to compete a lot in jujitsu, but at the peak of that, I maybe had twelve people that came to like our like competition style MMA practices. Right, we Uh had kickboxing, we had nogi grappling, BJJ. Um, But you know, it was just always again the kids classes, big kids program, and and added things over time. But it was you know never has it ever even if you counted now like all of my jujitsu competitors. Never has it ever been over 10% of the membership here. And, like, that's even being, like, you know, if 400 members, 10%. You know, it's just never has it been that many. And if it was, um, I would be a little more open to doing more of it. But I'm kind of like you the further along, uh, along I've gone um i do exactly what you do it's like oh hey you want to fight and it's usually not this guy comes in that that's you know uh i do deal with that same attitude what you're saying right but it's it's usually somebody that is unathletic has never thought that they could do something like this before and you chisel them out and they show up every day and they kind of see the value and just look at it differently and it's like some of the best students and competitors I've had, uh, my wife included, like she rode the bench in high school sports. Uh, and was, uh-huh. She was a terrible athlete. And then won IKF um, three fights in one weekend. Finished her first fight with leg kicks. I'm so proud. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, you know, it's just like it's, it, it's people like that that, man, they just they have great work ethic. They work hard. Those have been the most rewarding competitors that I have worked with. It's never been that. 18 to 25 year old male that doesn't have a job right right but yep. um, absolutely yeah. well you yeah go ahead
1: like i said like the you know the with the martial arts side the greatest thing about this school here is that you know we've created such a family atmosphere um you know we have christmas parties together we have You know, uh, we do all kinds of like, we'll get to just weekend get togethers where, you know, we'll just say, hey, you know, let's set up a reservation at a restaurant, you know, whoever wants to come, uh, you know, and then the members, you know, like the reason why we opened the spin studio was some of the fitness members, you know, we have some space and they were asking if I ever thought of doing spin and so forth. And we just generated everything that way. You know, now it's actually funny because I'm now opening up a second business, a third business, I should say, um, because where I'm opening up a a body recovery spot. So the, um, one of the buildings that were on the same property that my, that my other businesses are on, that building was, went vacant. Um, and I talked to the landlord got that space and i kind of was like you know what we're constantly talking about how to help our members recover and certain things to do um but yet we can't really you know we don't have that that stuff available here
2: mm-hmm.
1: so when i saw that space open i started to think about you know what i have a friend of mine Who's up in new hampshire this guy drew have you ever heard of float therapy
0: yeah 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 i have actually okay i've, I've, I've uploaded a little bit and done a little cryo but like what you're saying i, I have to drive 40 minutes one way to do mm-hmm. you know it's just right. not even around here yep
1: so my buddy drew who's up in londonderry new hampshire he's about 40 minutes 50 minutes from me and then um i started talking to him about it and I designed a, a a spa that is for body recovery. So we have what's called a fire and ice room, which is a, a medical-grade sauna and a cold tub.
0: Heat protein, uh, man. I, yeah. I, I'm just getting, like, big time into researching this. Um, I hear Joe Rogan talking about it all the time, but, man, it mm-hmm. is um, – Outside of that, there's another guy in Alabama. I just had in for a seminar, Daniel O'Brien, and he is a huge advocate of cold, cold plunging and, and yep. saunas both. Right. But um, really interesting too, like uh, with the benefits outside of just like recovery. That, mm-hmm. like, um, uh, for example, uh, like male infertility, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. But like he was telling me that he and his wife you know, like that, like he attributed the the cold plunges to um, having success with that, right? Like mm-hmm. I' heard that elsewhere, just like uh, post him saying that, but pretty interesting, oh, yeah.
1: I mean, it's you know the the benefits of the you know we have was we have a medical grade sauna, which is two different types of infrared. Um, one infrared actually penetrates the body and it helps raise the core temperature two to three degrees. Um, which in turn helps with, you know, recovery of internal organs and things of that nature. Um, And then the other infrared is obviously for the outside of the body. But um, that also helps with the cold plunge because by raising the core temperature two to three degrees, it allows you to stay into the cold plunge a little bit longer without the fear of hypothermia. Um, And it also benefits you more through the, with the cold plunge. Um, so we have that room, a fire and ice room. We also have a uh, IV therapy spa. So with the, you know, which is, um, you know, vitamin IVs and recovery IVs, things like that. We also have assisted stretching. Um, and we also have float therapy, which is a, uh, it's a 400 gallon tub. That's um, 13 inches deep. And it's got about 1,200 pounds of Epsom salt in it, and you just and it's uh they used to call it sensory deprivation,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: um, they've kind of gotten away from calling it that, and now they kind of say it's float therapy. But the the benefits of it is anxiety, stress, depression, um, and even more so like arthritis, um, and you know muscle recovery because the water itself is about 94 95 degrees so it's close to your body temperature and then the room itself is soundproof um and you can decide whether you want to have either complete darkness or if you want to have different color lighting on uh, and then same thing with music you can either have music or no music uh and you s- simply just float on the water you don't touch and and the greatest thing about this and what a lot of people i don't think understand about float therapy is that um because you're weightless your body actually aligns itself so people for instance that have like a you know their hip is out of line or they feel like their back is out of line and things like that that go to chiropractors um by by being by floating on the water. Your body is in perfect alignment. So what ends up happening is the weight of your body actually puts yourself back into position. You know, and the warmness of the water and the and the Epsom salt that's penetrating, you know, through your pores and stuff helps relax everything to where it can just realign itself.
0: Um, I definitely, uh, I felt that the times I've done that, it's weird. It... It's almost like a bowing effect. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, bulging issues in the back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not uncommon for, uh, like, jiu-jitsu. Uh, sure. I mean, just have had those issues or, like, uh, anterior pelvic tilts from, mm-hmm. hip, you know, um, or just like, man, I remember post-to-superfoot seminars, you know, he gives that speech about, now do these stretches before bed. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm man i have woke up with a cramp in my calf <laughs> so bad. and i like wake up screaming it's never happened to me until like the last like, just like do a whole camp or, or like, uh-huh. on, the, on the same side you know because a lot of times i will i'll kind of do half and half here um when i'm working on kicks and stuff just to sure. balance it out or i'll do you know do a rear leg tie kick but not i'm doing a, a lead leg or something uh-huh. but, uh, Yep. And yeah, that's a, but that I felt like on my ribs, definitely like a, like a support, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. how, then, many, how many float tanks do you have? in? So, in so-, so
1: right now we just have, so in the one building, we have everything. We have fire and ice, we have a float tank, we have the meds, we have a med spa, we have IV therapy, stretch therapy, and we also have a hot tub. So we only have one of each right now. Okay. Um, You know, but, and it's literally same parking lot as my as my school so um you know all the members that are here you know we have 412 members um all the members that are here are ridiculously excited about it you know and i and i make a joke i'm like yeah we beat you up over here and then recover you over there
2: you know (laughs) so
1: uh but everybody's very excited about it and you know I'm excited about it. Uh, we just, you know, it's the biggest thing is is that the atmosphere that I I wanted to create is is definitely that family atmosphere that everybody's helping each other out and getting the the best training that they can for just reality, you know, just just for reality. You know, people that come in here and they do, uh, you know, fitness. I have, you know, my my girl, Kimmy Cascuna, you know, she's unbelievable. She's my fitness director. Sonny Romano, um, you know, he's actually one of my partners, uh, but also at the same time, you know, he's t- he's one of our instructors for fitness. Uh, I have a lot of my black belts. You know, Kimmy is one of my black belts as well. Um, you know, Mr. Mike, Mike Monato, uh, Joey, Gar- Joseph Garrell, Garrett. I don't know how to say his last name. It's this long thing. Garalello. Um, uh, but Mr. Joe, Mr. Dave, Mr. Tim, like the I, you know, finally it was two years ago. Uh, so I've been open for seven years. And, you know, finally two years ago, we had our first black belts, you know, and now now we're starting to every year, you know, get some black belts and I'm in black belt boot camp right now with um I have 9 kids and two adults that'll be going for their black belts you know and uh we have a black belt boot camp that after they get their red black belt with six stripes on it they can go into black belt boot camp and black belt boot camp is every Friday night for 3 months and it's just torture you know I mean they every Friday night 2 hours um they're going over everything that they need to do for their black belt, but at the same time, you know, it's called a boot camp for a reason. You know, they they burpees, push-ups, mountain climbers, pull-ups, running. It's, you know, pretty much a boot camp. <laughs> yeah. And then um at the end, they do their final. So one of the things that Ironclad is very, very, very well known for, especially in this area, is our black belt test. Um My adult black belt test is three days long. It's um, Friday night is their first part of their test. And it starts usually around six o'clock at night. It doesn't get done until 10 o'clock at night. And that is just pure conditioning running a mile in under eight minutes. They have to do a hundred push-ups in under three minutes. They have to do um, tire flips, a hundred jump squats in, in three minutes. They have to do, you know, two hundred mountain climbers in three minutes. They have to do five minutes of bear crawls. They have to do battle ropes. They have to do um uh thinking here. Um hundred kicks on the right leg and hundred kicks on the left leg in under three minutes. So they gotta do two hundred kicks in under three minutes. You know, so and that's Friday night. That's and then Saturday which is the which is part of the test starts at eight o'clock in the morning until six o'clock at night. And they get a twenty-minute lunch break.
0: That's it. That's awesome. Their eyes are like, oh my "What my the is hell is this?" Like, like processing it, like, "Oh my god, wow!" Like the that is, um, that's awesome. like. Oh, that and then there's still Sunday.
1: Oh,
2: okay,
0: okay, okay. So, um, so you're. Oh, that's just Saturday.
1: So Saturday is basically all of your techniques, your striking, your self-defense techniques and so forth. And then Sunday is all of your fighting. So Sunday, we do five, five minutes, five, five minute rounds on the ground where you're on the ground and you have to either get into a dominant position or you have to stand up. Every time you get into a dominant position or you stand up, somebody fresh gets on you. So it's not like you stay with the, you stay with the same person. You know, it's once you get out of that position, a fresh person grabs you and puts you back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do five, five minute rounds in the ground. Then we do three, five minute rounds against the wall, where you're pinned up against the wall um, on the ground. You have to get up or you're getting taken down against the wall. Um, and then we do 15, three minute rounds of sparring with um 30 seconds of rest in between each round and every minute and a half a fresh person is on you so you have you're fighting two people in one round oh wow and then your 16th round is with me so it's three bad. minutes
2: being
0: straight with I you. will I will attest to even though we've only sparred one round <laughs> I was uh I was intimidated and we were, like it, it at one point we like you you we kind of both went for the boot sweep at the same time. Oh uh, yeah. Which is like <laughs> one of my favorite techniques of all time. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah. I was intimidated. More or less No, so.
1: But I, uh, you know, so that's, that's our black belt test.
0: That is hardcore. And sir.
1: It doesn't matter if you're a kid nerd or an adult, that's your test.
0: How you long know, so, have you been uh, running that format? You said two years. So, uh, yeah.
1: So our first, our first uh, black belts, were um, two years ago nice. from the school. So now we have, um, up to this point, we have 14 black belts. Uh, and then now we're going to be, now I'm testing the first and second weekend of of December because we test our kids separate from our adults. Um, so the first two weekends of December, uh, I have my kids, black belt test and my adults black belt test so we should have 11 more come the second weekend of december wow but um you know it's not i've you know it's not um it's definitely not easy you know and i and i tell the my students all the time that you know like my kids the first meeting of the black belt boot camp is with their parents and um I look at their parents and I say, listen, I'm going to try to break your child mentally, physically, and emotionally. And if I can do that, then they're not worthy of a black belt. You know, if you're, if your child, you know, comes into the black belt test, thinking that it's going to be easy, then they're going to have a really difficult time, Mm -hmm. you know, because I, I make sure that not only here at the school, but outside of the school, that they're putting the work in you know so they have a log that they have to do that they're showing me that they're doing push-ups they're doing they're running sit-ups jump squats mountain climbers they're putting that work in outside of the classes as well you know and they have a log that they have to do every week and if that log is not done then they're out of boot camp
0: well, you know i like i actually like that idea i mean i remember when i was in junior high playing football in high school too you know it's it's summer mm-hmm. you, you want to just be a normal kid and and be off for the summer but it's off-season football and right. we, had, we had a folder in that folder was the bigger faster stronger program and, uh-huh. and you know, get here run a mile do these core lifts you know auxiliary stuff here uh, speed and agility the next day you mm-hmm. know so and It was the norm, like you you go get your folder, open it, you check off your stuff, you write down your numbers, you put it Mm -hmm. in. So, I mean, I think about that for like with the kids and teens and and I like it for adults too, but I mean, stuff that they're used to, I I taught college for four years. I'm not super high on education right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I am high on it. I have a master's. I value (laughs) value my education, but um, just with the overalls, State of things uh-huh. uh, like I was working in, in college in a pandemic and stuff, but I do see just as my background um anything that we can do like that that is there are methods in education that are that work that haven't been too tampered with or maybe they've been left behind or whatever but anytime I think we can uh find a a co similarity like that like hey yeah, you get this at school and we're gonna do it here uh-huh. and it, it's almost like they adapt to it a little better and so. The couple of instances we found like that, you know. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, man, just one, uh, one last question here, John. If you got, if you have the time. Uh, yeah. So again, y- you know, just watching from afar, um, I would say, man, okay, Big John's a successful martial artist, successful martial arts school owner, based off what I know about you, business mind, everything. Um, is there any one thing, and it's kind of a, a you know, uh-huh. rhetorical question, but is there any one thing you would say like uh, that, that you would attribute to your success overall? Like what, maybe it's just anybody listening, like you're the keynote speaker right now. What What is your tip for, you know, or what would you share with somebody that, you know, is behind, you know, all of this awesome history and this incredible story we talked about? Um,
1: I mean, I attribute my my success in all actuality to my son.
0: Yeah, that's just that's my motivation. No, um,
2: you know, I have a thing here, right here.
1: You can see that. Quitting is not an option. Quitting is not an option, right? This is me. That's my
2: son. And, uh,
1: you know, my son, like I said, he's now 17. But um, when he was born, I always said to myself that, uh, you know, no matter what I do in life, is always going up.
2: I'm always going to prove to
1: him that um, you just keep going. And uh, it's it's funny because, like I said, he's a goalie in hockey. And um, he's an unbelievable goalie. And he wants to make it to the NHL. His goal is to be a goalie on, in an NHL team. And he is in the gym every single day, working out, doing his goalie camps, making sure that when he's home, he's doing his, you know, he's doing his drills, he's doing his training, everything that he possibly can. And he always says to me, We don't quit, Dad. And, you know, the biggest thing with myself is, it's very easy to, to give up on something. That's like the easiest thing. I mean, we see it in the martial arts world where, you know, you have kids or you have students that come in and they do it for like a couple months. And then they're like, ah, I don't want to do this. They quit. But what do they have? What else are they doing? You know, I mean, I had a kid the other day that his mom came in and wanted me to talk to her, talk to him because he wanted to stop doing martial arts because he didn't have enough time to play his Xbox and I'm like so you basically are giving up on something that you know you've been doing for a while simply because you want to play video games you know and I talked to him about you know listen like we don't we don't You know, quitting is not an option because in life, we all have to look at things as reality. We all have to look at, okay, if I go and I get a job, and this is what I tell my students all the time, if you guys go get a job and you just decide one day that you don't want to work and you quit, how are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to be able to survive? And if you just keep quitting, keep quitting, keep quitting, after a while, nobody's going to hire you. Now, what do you do in life? You're not going to be taken care of by your parents your whole life. You know, you're not, you're going to have to, at some point, take care of yourself. So my biggest thing is that I don't care what happens to me, whether it's physical, whether it's mental. The one thing that I will not ever do is quit. I, I could, like I said, my second fight, I broke my ankle going into the cage. Don't care. I'm still going to fight. Um, My title fight, Uh, Josh Hendricks got me in a belly down arm bar. Guess what? I let him dislocate my elbow so that I could get out. And is that crazy? Absolutely. People will look at me and be like, you're absolutely nuts. But you know what? I would rather not quit And fight through whatever I have to fight through, whether it's mental or physical, than to just give up and not see what I could have accomplished. And that's the thing that I, you know, that I tell my son every day is: if you want to do something in life and you have a dream, do it. Do everything you possibly can to get your dream. If there's obstacles in the way, then we figure it out and we get past those obstacles. The only way that you stop doing what you're doing is because whatever it is that you wanted to do is just absolutely not obtainable. You know, we all have those things in life. We have things that we wish that we could do but it's just really not obtainable and that's okay. But don't stop trying to obtain what it is that you want to do for yourself. And, and you know, if I can say anything in, in life, it's that, you know, we don't quit, we don't give up. You know, giving up just it, when people have the ability to quit, it's almost like the trickle down effect, right? They quit one thing, then they try something else, then they quit that, then they try something else, then they quit that. and it's and it's like quitting is an easy way out for them. So they take that route rather than work hard and and do what you want to do. So you know I sorry I'm sorry, I get emotional when I talk about my son. Because, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely one of the reasons why um, I am as successful as I am, uh, both in my business and, and fighting. Uh, because when he was, uh, I have a picture right
2: here, actually. I have a picture right here. Of, um, this was my
1: first fight. And he was five years old at the time. Uh, actually, almost. Well, yeah, he was five. And uh, I had told him before that you know that I was I wanted to fight. And he said to me that uh, you know when I sat him down and told him I wanted to fight, he was like, "Oh, Daddy, are you gonna get one of those gold belts? One of those big gold belts?" You know. And I said, uh, "I said, you know what, Evan." I promise you that I will have one of those belts. I 100% promise. If you let Daddy fight, you will have that belt.
2: That's what I did.
1: That's what I did. The day I won that title, the night I won that title fight, it was a Friday night. That Saturday morning, I put that belt on his shoulder.
0: What I would say too, probably, John. You're, um you know, when I talk to a lot of people that are, like, Mr. Drink. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and they all talk about the past and like, regrets. That I mean, sh- sh- shit. Like, we're we we all have them. You know. Sure. But, too, the right mindset, I think, can. You know if you you know live a well-lived life is what you know uh your your greek philosophers would say but like looking back with the fewest number of regrets i mean that's you know you got to have the right mindset today i feel like Mm -hmm. you know or you've got to work out the right mindset in many cases and and adapt and change uh, so you can look back with less regret but that kind of seems like a you know you you probably definitely live your life in in a way with your value system and kind of kind of what you shared here um and i'm not saying you don't look back with any regrets i think we all have them but sure, and i'm trying to figure out how you know like that's just something i I do see with people that are in my industry out of my industry mentors of mine whatever and and they talk to me and it's kind of like hey You know, this is a lesson you could learn from my experience, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's really a lot of times some sort of like a regret or something I want you to avoid having. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, that's a powerful, um, several powerful stories here today, but man, that's, uh, that is, that is awesome because man, I definitely, um, one of the things I enjoy the most, uh, from just doing the podcast and then just getting to, getting to be in martial arts and meet really cool people is, uh, stories like this getting to you know see how there's not a a martial arts industry school owner for dummies book you know i joke about like (laughs) i mean there's some some trade shows and stuff but man it's just like you really gotta network and make connections and Mm -hmm. it's uh i really um i do appreciate you sharing today and uh just like your honesty with everything man it's awesome
1: no thanks for having me on it was great you know it's uh I, I just you know my thing is i'm gonna i I say this sometimes, but it's almost like you know when when we grew up compared to now, it's uh it's like the world is getting soft, and people have to start caring more about themselves and doing things more for themselves um. And it, you know, and, and having those goals and, and trying to meet those goals, and it's you know, have, being able to be on this podcast and you know, talk to you and and kind of give you my my life uh, martial arts life story and things like that. It's awesome. You know, I hope that uh, people can listen to it and they can they can take something away from it uh, because it's you know, I'm that's that's our part of martial arts is inspiring you know, people to to be better or do better or, you know, build self-confidence and and know that, you know, look, it's it's not easy, but it's obtainable. You know, it's and uh it's like uh you know just kind of give giving one real quick story like last night in my teens class, all I kept hearing was like training partners bickering back and forth. You know, just saying, you know, stop doing that. Why are you doing it this way? Why, what's this? And I literally, I told them all, push-ups, do push-ups. And they all went down to do push-ups. And after, say, a minute or so, I told them all to stand up. And I said, look at your training partner and say something nice to them. And they all looked at each other and they, like, smiled. And they were like, Uh, I like your shirt. And made them do it again, do push-ups. And they told them to stand up. And I say, say something nice to your training partner. And I think we did it like three or four times until finally they like stood up and they were like, you know what, I like working with you or or you have nice guys or, you know, it was all superficial stuff before. And I was like, listen, like this whole time, all I heard was you guys bickering with each other, telling each other how they were doing something wrong or how this was how they weren't doing this the right way or and I had to make you say something nice to each other rather than just being nice help each other be training partners you know and that and that's the thing like you know building each other's self-confidence and knowing that you can reach those goals that you want to reach and don't let anything get in your way whether it's you know whether it's materialistic or whether it's a person or anything just get past it you
0: know yes sir yes sir now that's uh I might have to steal that one too because i uh, <laughs> i have a section of teens i teach as well so but you see what i mean right uh, that with the you know yeah i i teach teens one day a week right now um, yeah and i work with some younger groups too but that the the bickering i don't know just the teen demographic in general is mm-hmm. uh, this is a little different you know sure and, um, like i don't know i'm a, i'm not i'm not i going to say like with the younger like the eight to 12 year old sections i teach uh, I, you know, i little Johnny's eight, and it's you know four forty-five, and he's got to school at seven forty-five, and mm-hmm. pretty much came from school to here. I, I'll keep that in the back of my mind, but man, the teens, um, they just hit this little uh, spree. It seems like about like thirteen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones I have that are over sixteen are are, are a little more mature, and are right. the ones that have been with us, like that have come from the eight to twelve-year-old program but man teens are my wife is better with the kids overall than i am she's Mm -hmm. amazing but uh, it is just you know challenges you to i want to break through to them too you know i don't want Mm -hmm. i want i want to break through to all the groups and uh be an example and that's uh you know sometimes trying things don't work or sure trial and error absolutely when you're i mean I, i further away i get from being uh a teenager the less i remember what it was like <laughs> <Right.
1: clears throat> true true yeah
0: yep. well john uh again man thank you so much uh, hey man my pleasure i really uh, thank you been looking forward to this and uh i'll shoot you the link when i get it posted man i appreciate it very much brother thank you for your time have a great day man all right talk to you soon yes sir
2: Thank you.